It's New Year's Day 1977 and 11-year-old Ben is still missing Sarah Jane Smith. The deadly assassin had disappointed by bringing back an unrecognisable master. Perhaps Sarah would return in this new story. This is a flashback Metabilis 2 podcast on The Face of Evil. to the 53rd Metabilis 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And David. And today we're dipping back in time, going back 40 years. 40? Is this 40? Never, it's 40 yeah, years. Yeah, it is. 40 years. Blimey. To yes, 1977 years, for The Face of Evil. Oh, 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 oh. Face of Evil, which... um. It's, it's a classic. It's 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 and we're yeah we are not only are we flashing back uh, to the face of evil because that was forty years ago <laughs> sort of, um, but we're also um, I think the plan is is to do a a leisurely podcast by podcast swing through the tenure of the delightful Louise Jameson as Leela and the wonderful Tom Baker and of course the face of evil was Leela's very first story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's New Year's Day. I'm guessing you're home for the holidays, home with your family, uh, on school break. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah, definitely would have been the school holidays. As, of course, we all know, Britain basically shuts down between Christmas and New Year. Um, and I think that was doubly so in the 70s when no one really had any money. Right. Uh, <laughs> this was, of course, 1977. Um, this was the first uh, day of the uh, the Jubilee year, ah. the Queen's Silver Jubilee. Uh, she had been 25 years on the throne. Um, everyone was very, very excited. Everything was painted silver. Um, I remember that very, very clearly. Right. Uh, I also, and so the, I, I think the um, the introduction probably gave a little bit of insight into my um, a kind of introduction to this story. I had been devastated. And of course, you have to remember here that, you know, um, I read the Radio Times, which was the kind of the TV guide, is kind of, you know, the TV right. listings. Of course, it only gave BBC TV right. listings at, at, at that point. You had to get the TV Times if you wanted to get independent television, ITV listings. And that was, um, that was commercial TV. So I was a passionate reader of the, um, of the Radio Times. Um, but there was no other way to find out what was going on in your favourite show. I, mean, I didn't read the newspaper. And to be honest... Um, my dad's newspaper, which would probably would have been the Times at that point, probably mm-hmm. didn't cover Doctor Who very well. Um, so I had no idea that Sarah Jane Smith was going to leave at the end of the of the of the Hand of Fear at all. Um, oh, okay. Uh, n- no idea. Um, mm-hmm. And 
I had sat basically all the way through the Deadly Assassin going like, so, hang on, so when's Sarah going to come back? Like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> well, had you seen the goodbye scene at the end of Hand of Fear? Yeah, I'd seen the goodbye scene. I mean, people say goodbye all the time, and then they come right. back again. Um, right. You know, I mean, what the hell? So uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've also been very uh, freaked out, because I love the Delgado master, um, right. and I had been incredibly freaked out, as I, as I actually think was probably the point, uh, what, what Robert Holmes is trying to do, uh, by, by, the, by the horrific... Um, kind of undead master who turned up in the Deadly Assassin. Um, I was uh, because again, it said I've been a huge fan of um, the Roger Delgado. I knew he was dead, um, mm-hmm. so obviously I knew that he wasn't going to come back um, uh, because he was actually dead. But still, uh, it was that that master who was so it was kind of a distillation of um, it was all that was horrible about the master and none right. of what was good and cool about the master, which was what it made. Which were what what made it so horrific? So I've been kind of upset by that as well. Again, mm-hmm. uh, still like and then like when is the doctor going to going to go and get Sarah so they can mm-hmm. keep on their, their adventures? So I came slamming straight into the face of evil with okay, right, the doctor is going to get Sarah and it's all going to be back to the normal. Uh, it's going to all going back to normal again. And of course, that is exactly what didn't happen in the face of evil. Um, the other thing that. Uh, actually, and, and to this day, um, I didn't like The Face of Evil at all when I first watched mm-hmm. it. I really, really disliked it. Um, a, because I had a severe Sarah uh, withdrawal. And B, <laughs> I was quite a passionate viewer of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I only liked Star Trek. Um, and Star Trek was on in the summer when Doctor Who wasn't on, basically. So when you couldn't watch Doctor Who, it was like, oh, hell okay right well, I guess I'm gonna to have to watch Star Trek then <laughs> um, and I only like Star Trek in the way that it was similar to Doctor Who so right. all of the things that happened in Star Trek that were kind of Doctor Who-ish I there was a monster um, that that's what I liked everything else mm-hmm. in Star Trek I pretty much disliked um, they're on a dusty planet um, there's some humans who are also aliens even though they just look like humans um, right. they're weird and have gone crazy and we have to kind of solve their problems um, that I didn't like about Star Trek and I got a very strong at the age of 11 very strong Star Trek vibe from the face of evil there was this kind of tribal human thing um, mm-hmm. they would they were dressed like humans there were no monsters um, I mean they were the hoarder of course but I mean they weren't actual kind of monster monsters they weren't evil monsters they were just kind of a kind of animal so the Zoanan monster of Tom Baker's face didn't do it for you no because I mean an, 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 an evil computer is a Star Trek villain um, it's not really a Doctor <laughs> Who villain uh, to me because it's, it's, it's not a monster right. the other thing I'll have to say as well is that the you know the cliffhanger I think well it's, it's the end of episode one um, where we see the uh, you know the giant face of evil, right. which is ostensibly Tom Baker's face, and I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. In the quick, quick flash that you saw it, and then you know you go and, you, and you're into the it, into the end credits. Mm-hmm. I was certain that that was um, John Pertwee's face mm-hmm. because it's a yeah, it's, it's a pretty bad <laughs> sculpture of uh, of Tom Baker. So I was like, oh, awesome! Like in some way. John Pertwee's going to come back because, of course, you know, I like Tom Baker, but I liked uh, John Pertwee a lot more. Right. Um, and, of course, he didn't. Mm-hmm. So that was also disappointing. So it had nothing going for it. <laughs> it really and had I... very, very little going for it. The only thing it vaguely had going for it is that my dad started watching it um, <laughs> because he really, really liked Louise Jameson, mm-hmm. um, who had red hair like my mom. <laughs> 
though my mother didn't walk around thankfully in a in a in a in a leather bikini <laughs> so that's where the overlap ended <laughs> that exactly exactly well we had we had talked we might as well get this out of the way because we yeah. had talked about the tom baker life mask that was used for the sculpture of the face and how how much it did not look like tom, tom baker. baker and yeah. even and the life mat, the, the sculpture still exists in like the DVD extra. They are panning all over it. And it still doesn't look like Tom Baker. No. Of course, he did the life mask with his eyes closed. So yep. that also changes the, the shape of the face. He's lying down instead of having it st- standing up. So you get more of a jowl underneath him. It just, it just doesn't look like Tom Baker. And I agree. In that flash at the end of the uh, part one, the cliffhanger, you really don't know who it is. And since you have seen, and I had seen all the Tom Baker episodes, it's sort of like, it has to be Pertwee because... When did he have that invention? We've, we've never... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when do you think the Tom Baker doctor went and visited the Morty expedition? The Morty, the, the ill-fated Morty expedition. Yeah. Well, um, just as... And I think I, I probably said this a lot in the earlier podcast, but I'll say it again. Um, this is why when you want someone to... Uh, uh, sculpt a uh, an image of a real person um you use a sculptor and an artist rather than take a life mask um because an artist is able to interpret a living face in a way that makes it more real than a real face Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of you know objective fact rather than kind of artistic opinion a life mask always looks like it looks like the face um that was uh the, the person's face at the time that that life mask was taken, um, which is not a life, uh, which is not a kind of a lively expression. Anyway, right. um, so they made a mistake. They should have just got an artist to do it, etc., 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 etc. And all you see with that, all you see with that head is all that curly hair, and all that curly hair to me at that time said, ah. It's it's Pertwee with all his bouffant Planet of the Spiders hair <laughs> action. Um, I th- right. I think the smart money says that it was it's right after his regeneration. Hmm. Right end robot there when he went back into the TARDIS. Yeah, or... when he goes back to TARDIS and comes out as a Viking, um, mm-hmm. comes out as you know various things. Um, but we that... don't see the TARDIS dematerialize there. Uh, that is true. We <laughs> don't. Um, maybe it dematerializes really super quickly. Um, and then comes Perhaps. back in exactly the same place. When do you think it happens? I think that's a good guess unless... You know, the thing is, it could happen right after Deadly Assassin too, because it is a time machine. That's true. The that doctor true. could have went off, and then this is effectively the second part of the arc. Right. We just right. never saw the first part of the arc. So there's... I mean, here's, here's a question. Has there ever been... Is it, no, one, no one sat down and wrote, written The Missing Adventure written uh, written the missing adventure of you know doctor who and the mordy exhibition expedition hmm. have they because if they, they, they should do that i don't know I, w- I would expect chris boucher to have done that if and he's written for big finish i think the writing that he's done mainly is with the robots of death type calder yeah. city yeah, yeah yeah so i don't know i that's a good question i wonder if he ever expanded upon that right 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 um it is an awesome script Having you know, watching it again, and I've watched it you know two or three times, obviously since I was eleven years old. Um, is, is that obvious? Anyway, obviously because I do a Doctor Who podcast, I've watched this this show more than once. Um, uh, and it's 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 really it's it's pretty good. It's super mm-hmm. creepy. The the Mordy tribe uh, are done excellently. Um, you know, and they have all that kind of 
like Eric von Daniken, we used to be spacemen stuff hanging around, which which is super effective. Well, it's kind of a little bit of the mystery. Is it a cargo cult or is it the actual survivors or descendants of the original space explorers? So there there is that question and it it is posed several times and uh, the seventeen members, I think Caleb especially, latches onto that. Are we the descendants or are we the captors? Right, right. Well, yeah, or, or did they interbreed in some kind of way? Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's pretty conclusively answered that they are the descendants of the original Morty expedition with the Tesh in the spaceship and the survey team as the tribe of the Seva team. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the you know, the, uh, the breeding program that has kind of di- diverged them um, mm-hmm. to very, very kind of different, different yeah. kinds of people. Um, yeah, and Zoannan's eugenic program. Which is, you know, which is a which is a pretty Star Trekky, star, mm-hmm. uh, to me, a pretty Star Trekky plot. Um, and, and of course now, um, you know, I can appreciate that kind of plotting much, much, much better than um, than I did at the time. But still, I was, you know, I, I was I was looking for the monster, and I'm sorry, a room full of full of shouty faces does not do <laughs> does not do the job in terms of monsters for me. And like Star Trek, if if. Compared to Doctor Who, this was more of a harder sci-fi yes. edge yep. than what we would what we've gotten previously with Doctor Who. This is more this is dealing with bigger concepts, the face of evil. The whole understory of what religion is you can tell that Chris Boucher is a confirmed atheist. He yep. says quite a bit of uh you know, it's 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 a critique of organized religions, and there are several lines in there that uh, really kind of get to the crux of I think Boucher's criticism of religion. Yeah, the one that immediately comes to mind is where uh, the doctor is uh, talking to Leela, and he, they had overheard Neva. The seven uh, teams shaman, yeah. and the doctor tells Leela, uh, it, it almost sounded like he was expecting an answer from Zoan, and, and then Leela's response is, "Well, what's the point of prayer if you don't get an answer?" Right. And right. There's, um, you know, the doctor calls a lot of stuff religious gobbledygook. Uh, one of the things, you know, another thing that he says to Leela is, uh, uh, "Never be certain of anything; it's a sign of weakness." And that's right after they meet, or, or shortly after they meet, Leela is very, you know, not sure what to believe anymore. And the doctor says, well, that, that sounds healthy. Right, right, So right, right. there's this theme of religion and how um, Zoannan basically is not a benevolent god. And much like uh, m- most of Doctor Who, like in the Pertwee era, um, there is a scientific explanation for things that appear magical or supernatural. Right. For, for like in the demons, where it's a Zal, where it's an alien godlike character, or in the face of evil, where it's a computer, a schizophrenic computer that's um, gone mad and kind of echoing Christian religion that the, the Zoanan made the world of the split, the schizophrenia in his own image because he was torn. He created a world that was torn to reflect his vision. Yeah. I mean, and that's a very, uh, you know, that's, a uh, uh, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, a reflection of a, a you know, kind of agnostic, 
uh, analysis of, of, of religion mm-hmm. where you know that you have a uh, you know there, there there is the physical world which is evil um, and and then there is the then there's the spiritual world which is good um, mm-hmm. yeah there are two worlds and those two worlds are kind of fighting fighting together um, mm-hmm. and um, yeah I mean it's 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 super sophisticated um, okay. in that and way I, it's really smart think... writing and you know Boucher's a smart writer. I saw this also just uh, uh, about five years later. And what did you think? In 82. And I didn't like it either at the time. It was just, it wasn't, uh, I thought the set was kind of crappy compared to like the Planet of the Evil jungle. I was looking for, it was a dry jungle rather than a, a wet jungle like in Planet of the Evil. The plants were like cauliflower with palm leaves around them. It just, it looked kind of corny. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand it didn't it the setting didn't sell to me it really felt sound stagey yeah and i thought well maybe it would have been better off if they were in a quarry or something like in colony in space it just it seemed very claustrophobic yeah and i had a hard time i'm trying to think back even even now the geography is kind of weird where how big is this place you know is it a really small planet is it a moon and how many generations have separated? And so I, I didn't really grok onto the story. It just didn't click with me at the time. And I think that's why, like, it does not as well in, like, a Doctor Who magazine ranking poll. Right. Because most people kind of gravitate to their first viewing, and that's kind of where their opinion is set. Right. But on, on subsequent adult viewings of The Face of Evil, it's it rises in caliber almost every time I watch it because there are things to think about. There is messages, and the writing is very, very clever. I think in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, and again, you know, your 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 memories of the of being unsatisfied by the set um, exactly kind of you know uh, jibe with my um, you know my kind of Star Trek dislike of it because it felt mm-hmm. like the you know the dusty planet that Star Trek goes to that isn't the one that's outside by that big rock um, mm-hmm. but is just you know the one that has all those all those polystyrene rocks in it um, mm-hmm. that's what it felt like to me uh, the geography I think is very very Genesis of the Daleks um, it's like well why aren't these people further away from each other um, mm-hmm. and you know how do they you know, you know, it's, well yeah, it's a, but it's all, it's better than Genesis and Dalek. Oh no, Geography. Genesis and Dalek is like genuinely. Well, it's not. No, I think I think I I'm certainly able to wreck on um, the 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 proximity of the Thal Dome to the Khaled Dome um, mm. uh, pretty well in my own head. Um, this, I guess, also you know, obviously they have to be quite close because you know that's where the spaceship landed, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But again, you know, it's 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 uh, the the, uh, the quick the, the the speed that people are able to get to places and not get to places doesn't mm-hmm. make a huge amount of sense um, right. to me. It makes sense for the story. It's a it's a, it's a it's an allegorical story. It's right. We don't need a big geography for it because we want. We want the Tesh, we want the Sevet team, we want that dichotomy between the very intellectual, the psi, the psychic, and then we want the more id or the base level of right. the Sevet team. But the the Sevet team is very sophisticated in just the, the characters in there. There's there's three power sources at play in the seven team we have andor the leader we have neva the shaman and then we have caleb who thinks he can do a better right. job about things and caleb is 
he's really looking out for himself. At one point in, I think, episode two, he poisons Lilo right. with a Janus thorn. And that's after the doctor was trying to bring him into the, his confidence. And the doctor turns around and Lila lets her guard down and she's stabbed in the hand with a Janus thorn. And this is after they thought they had won Caleb over. And I think think that everyone has their own agenda. Like when Neva is trying to say we need to do the attack on Soannon or at the at the wall. But the response that Andor gives to Neva is, look, y- you know, you may say Zoannon has promised victory, but actually, no, Neva, you are the one who promised us victory, and Andor is going to hold the shaman right. accountable rather than blame the god. And then then like Caleb is pretty disbelieving of the Zoannan religion in total, but he's he's trying to find a way to expose or call out Neva as a way of gaining control of the tribe. And that's, that's when he mm-hmm. poisons uh, Leela in order to undermine Neva's authority because Neva said the evil one, a.k.a. the doctor, right, has been killed. Right. So I think the characterizations are pretty... They're, they're interesting characters, but then as a child, all this yeah, was lost yeah. on me. And really, you just see kind of grown-ups <laughs> racing, you know, running around kind of fighting each other for reasons that you didn't really <laughs> fully understand. Um, and the tribe didn't look very... <laughs> they weren't the, the uh, uh, weightlifter, you know, physically fit tribe of the 17. No, and, the, and the, they were pretty they were pretty pasty and they're pre- well they you know they're they're british uh character actors you know painted <laughs> right. painted painted brown um, um browned up a little exactly um there's also not many of not very many of them mm-hmm. um uh, that's one thing that really kind of stands out on a on a on a rewatch watch is obviously it's not many people again i mean you can kind of wreck on that that you know well you know this is this whole thing is, is super artificial, so you know mm-hmm. maybe there aren't that many of them. Um, but um, definitely that... not enough to uh, have generations where they would separate into kind of psychic powers and then more uh, physical powers. The, yeah. the genetic pool isn't big enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that may yes, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then the you know the the Tesh are. They're, they're they're a little bit under they're kind of underplayed a little bit um, uh, underdeveloped uh, you know we spend a we spend a lot of time with the server team with the survey team right and you know the kind of duality that the you know the, the Tesh or everything that everything that the, that the survey team that the server team are not mm-hmm. I think could have done with a little bit more work in the in the kind of latter episodes there's only four episodes but you know what I mean um, in the latter part of the story. The second two, yeah, the the yeah. part three and four where we meet the Tesh. And yeah. they are kind of elfin, I guess. They're kind of pixies or they're they're kind of goofy looking in their uh, bright green shoes and their little hats and their poofy shoulders. And it's a very stark contrast from the Sevateem and their skins and very minimal costume to this almost uh, Harlequin-esque clown get up that the technicians are wearing yeah i'll tell you who they did remind me of at the time um and that's were the and i'm trying to actually i'm actually just looking it up right now um 
that there were uh, they they had basically the same costume as the uh, the kind of vampire foot soldiers of the Federation um, in Blake Seven. Okay. Um, and uh, I I can't actually do you, do you do you watch Blake Seven? Are you a Blake Seven watcher? I can't remember. Yeah, and I I haven't. Yeah, it's been probably forty years since I've seen it. But yeah, I did watch it when it. Yeah, so um, Servalan and you know of the Federation, obviously you know is super evil, um, <laughs> and Travis is her you know super evil Henchman, uh, right. hench person, um, and they have these troops, and I can't remember exactly what they're called. I should have looked it up. Um, uh, who are basically kind of vampires, and uh, they have this kind of weird kind of blobby uh, headgear um, and kind of chest units where they have you know, the kind of life force of. Of, of people that they suck the life force from and they are the kind of shock troops of the federation and they kind of fly travis's travis's ship for him and they have these kind of blobby hats um but mm. they're pretty much the same as the blobby hats uh that the tesh wear and I, and again i was a and i still am you know a big uh, blake seven fan and mm-hmm. the tesh were kind of reminding me they reminded me in the rock i mean i don't don't know whether we maybe maybe it was the same uh, the same costume designer, but they did remind me of um, the vampire. Mu- I think they were they mutos, something like that in Blake Seven, and that kind of discomforted me a little bit. Well, Chris Boucher went on to be the uh, exactly script exactly. editor for oh, yeah, Blake yeah, Seven, yeah. so I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm certainly he had a significant. I mean, he did. Chris Boucher did three three stories in what season fourteen right. of Doctor Who, and then got uh, drafted or uh, um, called away to do Blake 7 and never wrote for Doctor Who again. But he, 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 on the strength of his Doctor Who writing, so I am sure that ideas that he had yeah. you know, would cascade in there. Although yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Boucher didn't write in the poofy hats and the... No, the they didn't. look, and yeah. I think that was that was the BBC costume department that yeah. decided yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, the one thing that you, <laughs> you'll recognize, it, you, the wall pattern of that uh, yes <laughs> six by six uh, uh, little cubes, and then in, in a greater cube pattern that that is recognizable from other Doctor Who's, most most notably earlier, I think, the Ark in Space. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those sets that they reuse over and over again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. like that other kind of um, uh, uh, the uh, what is it? That kind of um, uh, a Buckminster Fuller. The triangle pattern. Yeah, that triangle pattern that kind of comes in over and over again. Yeah. Um, the other thing that uh, that I th- I actually find super creepy nowadays. Uh, I didn't I didn't then, but I certainly do now. That the uh, the Zoanan room um, with the shouting faces is. Mm-hmm. very intimidating um mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of um it actually it, it remains intimidating and frightening even at the very end when zoanan is you know good and it's all you know everything's been solved still very ominous still very ominous, and it actually you kind of leave on the on the last um uh, you know the last part um you know when the tardis team flies away you really aren't left with an impression that it isn't all going to go wrong again because even though it probably isn't uh, because that that that's a super scary effect, and the mm-hmm. the mix of voices and mm-hmm. the mix of faces is is really is really pretty intimidating and scary. Yeah, they have there was like five different voices, I think. So we had Tom Baker, right, who was also the voice, and then 
coming up in Robot to Death, the very next series, they had uh, uh, Pamela Salem. She right. was one of the voices of Zoanna. And, and then the actor who played Chubb, which is uh, Rob Edwards, he was another voice of Zoanna. And then Professor Marius's assistant, oh. uh, Parsons, uh, and actor Roy Herrick, he was the other voice of Zoanna. And then they had a young, an 11-year-old schoolboy who was at the same school that Betson Roberts, uh, Pennant Roberts' uh, wife, taught at. Right. And he was the other other voice. He was the child at the end, the one who was screaming, Who am I? Who am, who am I? I? Who am I? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Anthony Freeze, I think, is his name, if I recall correctly, from the DVD. Right, right. And he was like 11 years old, so he was right. He was he was one of your peers. In one England. of my peers. Wow, if, <laughs> if only I'd known Pennant Rogers or Chris Boucher, maybe I could have been... The child yeah. in Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> but sadly, no. Yeah. So they did the computer well. It was a very well done production, but I think it went way over the head of the average 11-year-old, average 10-year-old, you know, the the kid who was watching Doctor Who at the time. This this was written for an adult audience. And I'll, I'll and I'll just I'll, I mean I'll, I'll I'll context that and obviously in our next podcast we'll be tackling robots of death, right. which again is an is another very sophisticated to my adult mind mm-hmm. uh, story, very well written um, and it Chris pitched, Boucher again <laughs> Chris Boucher and pitched pitched um, in 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 an adult manner that mm-hmm. was a huge hit with me as a right. as a as an eleven year old because it had some pretty amazing monsters in it right um and you know as an 11 year old i was really i was looking for monsters and i still am mm-hmm. looking for monsters to be honest <laughs> and the real downside of face of evil is there isn't really a monster in it and mm-hmm. you know that sounds that sounds silly when i say it using those words but it is genuinely it's one of doctor who's usps um unique selling points is the monster Mm-hmm. And Face of Evil kind of searches for a monster. Um, it doesn't really have one because the survey team are basically, you know, they're they're flawed, but they're basically they're they're, they're you know they're basically good people. Um, right. The 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 Tesh dressed ridiculously are also flawed, but they're also good people. Um, mm-hmm. So Anon is is a is a mad computer that's bad, but is you know is made good in the end. So he's basically right. good. There, there isn't for all for all something that's called the face of evil. There isn't really anything evil um, in it, um, and there's no there's no kind of big bad um, right. that we're uh, that we're fighting against. And I think you know at, at, at that young age of a of eleven, um, I was looking. You know, I was you're looking for something horrible. Well, the um, big bad ultimately is Tom Baker. It's yeah. Tom Baker's face. I mean, we have the great climactic scene in at part four where neva has the big uh, energy gun going yep. up to the door where zoanan is and you see tom baker's face on there and then neva zaps it but that's it and you also see like tom baker's face snarling in the wilderness you know killing andor and it yeah. just it it's uh it's not something that if you're a kid you can reenact very easily. No, and and again when when you're a kid when you, when you when you were my age um when I was that age um uh, you're not really attuned to the hero suddenly becoming a villain. Um right. uh, and I again I remember very clearly not really understanding why the face of Doctor Who who is the hero of the show who I adored um mm-hmm. was 
an evil face. And right. I, un- I understand now right. um, why that is dramatically interesting. But again, mm-hmm. for a kid, it really it was confusing and weird and I didn't like it. Um, and we will again return to me being confused and not liking something when the Doctor ostensibly becomes evil um, when we deal with Leela's uh, final story, um, right. uh, which, which has that in spades, which was another uh, story that I really didn't care for at all, but mm-hmm. like better now. Um, uh, you know, I think at that age, certainly with the, uh, the, my, my, you know, the, the sophistication of the audience is, is relatively lit, is relatively minor at that age. And you're not really interested to have in having your heroes, uh, flaws pointed out, um, mm-hmm. because that's, you, they're, they're heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor never does anything wrong. Um, and because he's the doctor and always does something <laughs> right. So what do you think of Pennant Robert's direction in this? I mean, we've talked about the limitations of the sets, and obviously right. there'll, there'll always be BBC sets. Um, right. And we've talked about the limitations of some of the model work, um, and, you know, uh, Matt Irvin or whoever mm-hmm. did the model, model work. Um, it was probably Matt Irvin. Um, you know, yeah, um, yeah they, it was. It was, um, which is why the, the thing still exists, because Matt just keeps everything. Right. Um, watching it again, I thought the direction was pretty good, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. the, the effect of the giant head... Um, and the effect of the uh, in the Zoanan room, uh, I thought, you know, that was very well done. And that's some complex effects work for uh, 1977. And Pennant Roberts is, um, you know, he knows how to he's no he knows how to direct Doctor Who. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's a Doctor Who director. Right. Um, the one thing that I have that with him is there was actually the extras in the cast. They did have one or two females in the cast for the Seva team. And I think it was uh, poorly done that we only see the, the w- one other woman of the Seva team in one brief shot as they're walking through the jungle. And you don't get the idea that, like we said, it was a really small cast, and right. but there's a lot of extras in there. I think it would have been a lot better if you would have established that Leela isn't the only female in the Seva team. I mean, at least at least we could have had a hag of some kind. Well, who knows? I just, but I mean, there there was a this, this there is, was this is always cry, cry, crying out for an old crone <laughs> of some kind, like going. Well, the, the runes are saying that the. Well, you have that role of, uh, uh, with with the shaman, right? With you Neva. do. I, I know exactly. You know, and, and David David Garfield, who played the shaman, did an amazing job. I mean, you could have. You could have done this very self-consciously. You could have done it campy. But instead, he just goes into it and he really sells it. And he takes it, takes it seriously. And you really, you really buy the, 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 the world has been ch- pulled. The rug has been pulled out of, yeah. out of, from yeah. underneath Neva at the end. And that's, that's why he wants to kill his god because... He, his life has been a lie, effectively. Yeah, and it is. I mean, you. The, I'm. I'm. I'm actually just just quickly noodling around on the internet, looking up other things that Pennant Roberts directed, and of course, I'm reminded that he was one of the one of the key directors of the first and second series of Survivors, which is a, another BBC telly fantasy show that I'm a huge fan of. Um, Tenko, which, uh, <laughs> and and Tenko as well, which of course starred um, starred Louise Jameson as one of the uh, as one of the prisoners. Um, he does grim and gritty really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is probably another one of the things that kind of a little bit alienated me um, when I was watching it when I was eleven, but actually makes me like it more when I'm watching it now that I'm fifty. 
uh, you know there's a there's a, there's a griminess and an unpleasantness and a, and a, a kind of horribleness if that's if that's a word to the kind of feel of the show and the direction of the show that really speaks to kind of the, to the kind of degradation of the survey team who have become the server team you know it's right. super it's super tribal they're super dirty um they're really nasty to each other um you know the, 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 there's a sense of kind of hopelessness and again you know if you look at, if you look at tenko if you look at survivors um you know tenko is set in a japanese women's japanese prisoner of war camp survivors mm-hmm. is set in a world where everyone's died apart from a few people i think roberts does this very well actually mm-hmm. and um uh, again as i said you know this is something that, that i think alienated me when i was when i was 11 but when i watch it now um i can see you know i can see what he's uh, what he's trying to do so it, again i think that underscores this is adult doctor who here this is something yeah. that really is kind of out of place in the Hinchcliffe era, but maybe this is the direction that Philip Hinchcliffe was going to take the series before he got uh, um, transferred off. Yeah, yeah. Because he was certainly making it more adult. The violence was becoming more visceral, more real. Yeah. The deadly assassin was, you know, just the preceding story was very adult too. Yeah. And it did have the advantage of a baddie, but that baddie was not anyone recognizable yeah. that we knew like the master, the master was returning, but not this master, not, yeah. not the corpse master. Yeah. So I think this, this little stint from probably the deadly assassin through the towns of Wang Chiang are more adult than what we've seen previously where it was uh, kind of uh, hammer horror for the children yeah this isn't hammer horror anymore this is an original original story like you said it's more of a hard sci-fi star trek type story than doctor who yeah and again you know this this is what makes the you know the, the kind of split between my young self and my old self my young self really disliking it because you know mm-hmm. why isn't this my show anymore in some ways, and uh, my adult self going, yeah, great, yeah, there's actually some, some really, you know, apart from the Tesh being dressed like pixies, uh, late seven pixies, <laughs> uh, you know, there's some really interesting stuff to chew on here, and there's some really great acting, um, and there's some really kind of adult stuff goes on, mm-hmm. um, despite all, you know, the kind of jelly babying around um, that the Doctor does, you know, there's some, mm-hmm. there's some real things at stake here, um, you know, there's some real torture, there's some real violence, and and there are some real concepts about religion and uh, being human and not being human. Um, uh, uh, you know, again, I mean, as an eleven-year-old, I mean, I didn't know what a schizophrenic was when they talked about right. you know the, a split personality. Well, what's that? Um, and you wonder if the seven team would know what that is either. Exactly. Yeah, and and, and you know maybe kids these days know about all that kind of stuff but you know I, I think actually a lot of my education in terms of um stuff like that was really reading reading target novelizations <laughs> and i think it was you know coming across words like schizophrenic in you know in a target novelization i would, I would quickly run to a dictionary and look up schizophrenic and ah that's what that means um so right. yeah you know I mean, this is doctor who teaching me stuff uh, not really teaching me uh, in a kind of useful way but yeah so um hmm. 
that's that's good. It's useful. It's all vocabulary building, right? It's all vocabulary building. Yes, I can I, I can remember. Actually, I, this is a very strong memory. Um, sitting in the back of the car, reading um, Green, the uh, Doctor and the Green Death, and then not knowing what megalomaniac meant. So then I was asking asking my mother, who was driving, what does megalomania? What is megalomania? <laughs> Um, and, you know, she was like, well, uh, well it means um, someone who is crazy about power and stuff. But like, what the hell are you reading right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, Doctor Who's great stuff. So, yeah. I think the standouts in the cast, if we want to go back to yeah. that, I think for me, uh, Louise Jameson really, really sells. I think this is one of her better stories as mm-hmm. character of Leela. Yep. And David Garfield as Neva, also really, I think, amazing um yep. Caleb Leslie Schofield Schofield also very good I think also very good beyond yep. those three I Tomas who uh Brendan Price uh yeah maybe to a lesser extent but the once we get into the spaceship with uh the actor who plays Jable and the gen and his acolyte Gentech they're not they're not as good I, no, I they really they're... fell down with the Tesh in actually getting like a strong, um, uh, because I mean the the the, the Sever team actors are so strong um, that it really kind of it, the 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 kind of and I guess you know they're supposed to be more anonymous and less you know individual you know it's the kind of you know it's the collect it's the Borg collective versus the whatever the opposite of the Borg collective is you know it's the, <laughs> the kind of libertarian uh, free thinking savages. Um, mm-hmm. So that the you know the the Tesh is supposed to be less good in that kind of way, but it really it really comes off. Um, uh, it, it 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 doesn't come off right basically. Mm-hmm. It was interesting up through basically parts one and two. Once they start gaining access to the spaceship, even the set even the spaceship kind of seems cheap. Yeah, and we get the problems with Doctor Who sets wobbling. It's not as convincing. And it's visually, the mirrors and the white corridors is visually boring. Yeah. And we have the pink pixies with the, or the, the green, minty green pixies with the bright minty green pixies. shoes. Yeah. I think it falls apart in that aspect. I mean, you still have the, the dichotomy of the intellectual versus the physical, but the intellectual is expressed only briefly through the psionic power of right. Captain Jable when he gets Tom Baker to uh, f- drop, and then they d- strap him to the laser table where they can atomize him and him, Leela. But afterwards, in front of Zoannan's door, he has a physical fight. And to me, if these were very intellectual, they should have been using like psychic power, psionic power. Yeah, it would have been a a mind battle rather than a physical battle. And maybe that's not as dramatic, but that's yeah. more fitting with what the Tesh were. And again, I mean, I think you can certainly see the bias of the writer. I mean, he's, you know, he's much more interested in writing for the survey team um, mm-hmm. than he is writing for the technicians. And I think, you know, he's probably more of a libertarian bent than he is of a commutarian bent. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of, that, you know, that, that really comes across. Um, I, I absolutely agree that Louise Jameson is, is fabulous in this in this, you know, she is she does a really good job being Leela, um, and she looks amazing as well. Mm-hmm. If I can just be crass for a second, um, <laughs> she looks she looks 
Fantastic. Um, I can see you why can my see dad... why your dad started watching. I can see why, I can see why, well, why my dad starts, starts, started watching. Um, but she, you know, she pulls off having to wear a leather dress really, really well. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, that, that's a... That's a tricky thing to act in uh, in the 1970s when you had a bunch of you know hairy um, BBC electricians gawping <laughs> at you, um, and she does a really really good job, and you've got to hand it to her. Um, she sells. It's 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 both. Um, I'm I'm going to say it's both sexy but not sexual, um, mm-hmm. and you know she 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 does an extremely good job with a difficult with a difficult costume, and she really makes the character live. All throughout her run. She isn't using sex as her selling point. Louise Jameson acts her socks off, basically. Not that Leo, Leo's wearing socks, but I mean, this is a this is an intense performance that she does, and she tries to be true to the character of Leela, yeah. even though the scripts start to let her down. The further I think we get into Graham Williams era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Graham Williams doesn't really know what to do with a. I mean, we'll we'll we'll. we'll We'll, talk we'll get about to there, right? But I mean, he doesn't really know know what to do with this character. This character is a pure kind of Hinchcliffe Hinchcliffe character. I mean, right. you know, Leela is a, and I think, and this was just you know, kind of backstory. I mean, originally this you know this was a this was this was a kind of Pygmalion plot arc where you know the Doctor takes a um, you know a savage and educates them and you know we we and we start to see some of that and then it all kind of falls apart when we get to Graham Williams but um uh, you know she sells that that savage and again mm-hmm. it's so it's 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 so much more it's so more three-dimensional as the beautiful savage than you know any kind of hammer um, when dinosaurs rule the earth kind of um, traditional right. um, you know rackle Welsh in a leather bikini savage mm-hmm. which we're all kind of used to she's you know, she's genuinely threatening. Um, right. She's genuinely dangerous. Um, she's genuinely super intelligent, and she's genuinely a, a warrior woman from a warrior planet. Right. Yeah. How about the other lead, Tom? How'd he do? Um, he 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 does okay. He's a bit overly doctory for my liking, to be mm-hmm. honest. You know, there's a, there's plenty of business with jelly babies. Um, there's right. plenty of kind of rolling your eyes. I, I think this is one of the, um, and you can maybe speak to this, David, better than I can. Um, he's almost playing like a caricature of Tom Baker playing the Doctor, and he's—it's almost that you know when you go to you know comic conventions and you see you know Americans cosplaying as Tom <laughs> Baker. One of the one of the performances that they're always cosplaying as is Tom Baker's performance in The Face of Evil, um, mm-hmm. which is I think I think. Uh, uh, I said more of a caricature of Tom Baker being the Doctor than what I prefer him to be. Yeah, to I as. yeah. Behind the scenes, he wasn't happy with getting a companion cast. He wanted to do the solo. I think um, he had such a lovely time on on Deadly Assassin. I think he was bitterly disappointed. I mean, I, I don't think mm-hmm. it had anything to do with Lu, 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 Louise Jameson, though. By all accounts, he treated her um, not as well as he could have done um, throughout, right. throughout the run. But I think he really, really enjoyed not having to to play to a companion on on Deadly Assassin and was kind of pissed off. And thankfully, he did get a companion because the breaking in the fourth wall at the beginning with him talking to himself, looking directly into the camera and part one, it doesn't work well, I think. It's, no. it, it, it camps it up a little bit too mm-hmm. much. And I think the story improved. You know, the doctor is walking through the jungle wishing you know whistling colonel bogey's march from like the bridge on the river kwai 
Right. And then Lila's running away and lands at his feet. At that point, he has someone to talk to, and it's a little less corny of a, a story from his perspective. He does seem to have kind of a chip on his shoulder at times, especially, I think, inside the spaceship, mm-hmm. where he's, I, I feel, kind of resentful. And that, I think, comes across in that final scene where uh, Leela is asking to be taken along with him. And the doctor really doesn't want this murderous uh, savage to come along with him. But she <laughs> leaps in the TARDIS herself and then off we go. Yeah. Leela isn't along by invite. <laughs> no, no, no. The doctor, the, both, both the doctor as a character and Tom Baker as the actor does not want either Leah, Leela, nor Louise Jameson along for the ride, basically. Right. Um, but that's what he gets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. The, the doctor that he's playing here is actually, um, and I'm wondering whether it's, it's, it's the doctor that I'm reminded of when I read some of the early strips in uh, you know, Doctor Who magazine, which I think started in 79, so a couple of years after, um, um, after The Face of Evil. But I'm pretty sure when Pat Mills and Robert, not Robert Wagner, uh, John Wagner were writing those early Doctor Who strips, um, I'm pretty certain that you know this was one of the VTs that they were that they watched when they were kind of you know trying to get that character right. You know the kind of asides to camera, which of course you get a lot in a comic strip. It was a very much a comic strip Doctor. I felt mm-hmm. a very you know and 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 not in a good way. It didn't really have the depth. Um, of character that actually you get you get immediately um, in Robots of Death actually, mm-hmm. which which is I think is a very serious Doctor, and you know maybe it's just a it's just a kind of a coefficient of you know Chris Boucher writing for this character for the first time, and you know Tom Baker settling back into a role when he's just lost an actor that he'd very much enjoyed playing against, Elizabeth Sladen, um, had a marvellous time not having to play against anyone else but himself during The Deadly Assassin, and then bam, he's kind of right. straight straight back to the day job again. Right. Well, with with Liz Sladen, too, she predated him on the show, so she was the senior person. Yeah. By the time that uh, Louise came on, you know, Tom, had, this was, he was in his second or third season. Hinchcliffe was leaving, Holmes was leaving, and he was the most senior person associated with the show. The producer was, you know, less experienced on the show than him, the companion. And so Tom started to get away with things as this went. And I think he was having a a great time doing it. It's why he didn't leave the role. But it could also have been insecurity, too, that he knows that this is – this is what he's going to be remembered for, and I, he's a very smart man. I think there was a reluctance to leave, like uh, yeah. you know, Pertwee or let's see, Pertwee is in there for about five years, four years, five years, and, yeah. And this was, you know, this we're coming up to the fourth year here with Tom Baker. Yeah, yeah. And again, as I, as I think, I think, I think we know because I mean, I think he's talked about it. You know, Tom Baker certainly at that stage, you know, was a a pretty insecure person. I think a lot of a lot of actors are. Yeah, I think there was worry that if this was all he was ever going to do, and of course we know that actually if this was all that he'd ever done, we would still have loved him. Um, and right. he's gone on to do a lot of great things other than be Doctor Who. But still, you know, um, he's a he's a you know he's an eccentric fellow. 
Um, <laughs> and I think it's hard to be, you know, I think, I think except when you're older, you know, your insecurities are kind of, you know, develop into delightful eccentricities. And I think at, <laughs> at, at, at this point, you know, I think it's, it's mainly insecurity is what drives Tom. Yeah, pretty abrasive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, you know, he was down at the Colony Club with um, um, uh, uh, Francis Bacon and his pals as well. So, <laughs> a lot of boozing going on too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Face of Evil. Yeah. So, yeah. enjoyable watch now, not so much when we were kids. Yeah, definitely uh, when you're running your eyes along the shelf wondering what, who DVD to pull down, one's eyes often stray to the Face of Evil. Yeah, I would agree because it's not one that we've worn out. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, it's not. It's not. And there's still there are still things to find in it, which is right. why you know watching it again was um was an enjoyable process. Right. So for next time, we'll be talking about the Robots of Death, which is uh, Chris Boucher's second script. It is second of three. One of the, the two of three. Yes. Yeah. And again, if you're wanting to watch in the uk this is available still on dvd which you can buy in your high street shop or through amazon or wherever you get your dvds and then in the u.s your best bet would be either your library or through britbox with with streaming hopefully you'll check out because uh we're entering a really good run of doctor who coming up with uh robots of death Absolutely, and we love BritBox. Um, we'd like very much like BritBox to sponsor us, so that we can, we can get free BritBox in in perpetuity. Um, that's not going to happen, uh, but anyway, um, it, BritBox is pretty awesome. So let's um, let's just continue to um, to uh, to recommend them to all our mm-hmm. friends. All right, excellent. So thank you for listening to episode fifty three, which has been a Metabulous two flashback on the face of evil. I've been talking to Ben. Um, and I've been talking to David. Have a good one. Well, maybe we haven't. Maybe we're all just one computer that's all schizophrenic and stuff. <laughs> Who am I? Who, Who am, am I? I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Well, I'm Ben and he's David. Um, thanks for listening. Yep. Good night. Good night. Next time on the Metabulous 2 Podcast. Please do not throw hands at me. Ben and David will flash back to Robots of Death. <laughs>